Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we say sayonara to 2022 and talk about what we're looking forward to in the new year. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, Happy New Year, bud. Good to see you. Happy New Year. Good to see you as well. We have run out of episodes that we recorded ahead of time. So here we are again, tardy to the party with recording this week's episode. Absolutely. This is going to come out basically uh, within 12 hours of it being recorded. So this is our freshest take that you can possibly get. We are back to our procrastinating ways. But I think that was really just a function of the holiday schedule and yesterday not being a market day. And so we took the day off. That's all right. And I think fresh takes are a good thing. In this case, our fresh take gives us the opportunity to have year-end numbers in hand so we can reflect back on the year that was 2022, which, uh, you know, I'd like to quickly forget and set my sights forward to 2023. Yeah. Can we just like salute just a good riddance to 2022? I will not miss it. It is not welcome here. Uh, It feels like I've had a couple of those years recently, but between professional and personal challenges, uh, I am excited to have this one in the rearview mirror. I generally am not kind of a new year, new me sort of guy. I feel like that's like a silly sentiment, like just continue to work on yourself every day. But uh, I am, I'm pretty excited to have a clean, fresh of uh, fresh piece of paper that we can put this new year onto. Yeah. As I was struggling to fall asleep last night, I was thinking about the arbitrariness of the new year and how nothing changes between December 31st and January 1st. That's just a nonsense construct that we've created other than like the physical movement of the earth around the sun. But at the same time, it is almost permission to move on from some things that maybe you've been harboring. And I think stock market performance could be one of them. 2022 could be the negative year. And we have all the hopes ahead of us that 2023 might be a better year. That is yet to be seen. Well, it's it's interesting because in the grand scheme of things, one year in investing ultimately isn't that long, right? If you think of your investing career as likely to be somewhere in the 20 to 70 year long sort of pursuit range, I mean, that's kind of how long I think people need to be investing for is hopefully from their 20s through their lifetime that we can consider people investors. So one year amongst that maybe isn't that much. Now, if it's your first year investing and 2022 was 100% of your investing experience, uh, you probably think that investing sucks and isn't something that's very fruitful or fun. If you've been investing for decades, you know that that's kind of part of the game and that this is just something we deal with. But each downturn, each negative year that you experience, they're just a little bit different. There's different sentiment around it. There's different reactions to the market. There's different places that you can kind of find solace in each one of these events. And this was a strange one, I think. Let's start by talking about the divergence between some of the major indices. Last year, if you were a Dow Jones industrial average investor, if you just bought the Dow 30, you were down 8.8%. Not great. Nobody's happy about losing money, but only down 8.8%. Given the rest of the numbers I'm about to say, 
that feels like it's probably a win. If you were in the S&P 500, which I think of as the most relevant of the U.S. benchmarks, you were down 19.4. If you were in the much tech-heavier, maybe frothier NASDAQ, you lost a whopping 33% in 2022. That's a, that's a big difference for what are all considered pretty major indices. Yeah, exactly. And I think that spread, how different losing 8.8% in the Dow versus 33% in the NASDAQ might explain why people feel very differently about 2022, depending on what type of investor they are. So I think the Dow itself is commonly misunderstood, Dan. Do you get a lot of questions about the Dow? Because I still hear people quote where the Dow is, as like the main index they talk about. The entire time I've been investing, I've thought of the Dow as like kind of this relic that sits around. Is that your view on it as well? That's my personal view. Fewer and fewer people are citing the Dow to me. It's my grandmother and and maybe others in her cohort that are often quoting it. I I feel like most of the, I'm going to say younger because I can't think of a better word. So most of the younger investors are really looking to the S&P 500 or even sometimes the NASDAQ as their benchmark. But I agree with you. The Dow is a silly index, a relic of days of old, consisting of 30 companies. That's it, 30. And if I'm not mistaken, it is a price-weighted index. So it's, it's weighting the companies based on their share value, which we've spoken at length about in the past. That's a nonsense number. Yeah, so they make adjustments to it to basically equalize it whenever they add a new company to it. So... When they're adding and deleting companies from the Dow, they kind of, I think, reweight the index and, and and essentially make sure that the new share price fits, and then it floats from there. And look, it is a very strong list of companies. If we go through all of them, there isn't a single business on there that you're like, okay, well, that's a nonsense company, right? These are all very, very large, strong, I believe mostly, if not exclusively profitable companies, right? So I'm not saying that those companies don't matter. But the fact that they have to kind of keep rejiggering how they do the price weighting, I just don't find it to be a particularly compelling argument for an index. It's amazing to me that it's stuck around as long as it has and kind of still continues to be quoted in the headlines. Right. And in its defense as well, they are fairly diverse as far as the industries represented within that small group of companies. They are fairly deliberate about that too. But... That being said, if you were invested in it this past year, you're pretty happy. And I think of these as kind of the bluest of the blue chips in terms of what types of companies are in the Dow. Many of them are paying dividends. This is kind of just the the old guard of investing is how I view the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Yeah, and, and then we look at the other end of the spectrum, the NASDAQ, which was cut by a third over last year, which is, I'm going to call that violent price movement. There is more of the wild, wild west. You have a lot of unprofitable companies, a lot of tech-focused companies. And I think, you know, with the changes in the economic conditions last year, they were really punished, fairly or not, for the landscape they had the benefit of operating in beforehand, which has now been pulled out from under them. I looked at a couple other things just to see where some other markets ended Gold was basically flat last year. Um, I was a little bit surprised by that. Looks like it was a price return of 0.31%. So 
Uh, again, you did better than the market, but if you were a gold investor last year, you certainly didn't make a ton given all the headlines about inflation. That's a little bit surprising. In another inflationary hedge, Bitcoin, you would have been down 58%. I think that that was compounded, obviously, by the financial collapse and what now looks like pretty aggressive fraud in the FTX situation. You've got the Barclays Ag total return down 13% for the year, where we would have thought of that being a safe haven. You know, We've kind of talked about this was the, the nowhere to hide market. Housing even. Now, housing reports on a lag. So we don't necessarily know where we ended the year. If you look at December of 21, the Case-Shiller price index was at 278, peaked at 308 in June, which is about an 11% increase, and then was pulling back. The last data we have there is as of October, which had come down about 3% to 299. So it'll be interesting to see what home prices ultimately did nationally for the year. But as you and I have suggested, I think that there has been some pretty meaningful downward pressure there and is likely to continue as you've seen really just a complete drying up of demand in the home market. So again, still still kind of themes that we've talked about before, but not a ton of places that looked super duper attractive to have hung out last year. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's what we're doing right now. We're thinking forward, what is going to work in the next year, what's going to work in the next 10 years. And it seems like people seem to keep talking about this theme that what worked in the last decade isn't going to be what works moving forward. What do you make of that, Dan? I think that's kind of clickbaity, right? When someone says something like that, what worked over the last 10 years won't work over the next 10 years. I wonder first, what is it that they're referring to that worked over the last 10 years? A lot has happened over the course of a decade what single thing are you referring to? And I often think what they're implying is tech has been the big winner over the last 10 years. The NASDAQ has just crushed it. You know, you can't just continue to buy big tech and see your portfolio returns compound aggressively relative to everything else. Uh, is that is that your read on that too? It is, yeah. I, I think they are really trying to call out mega cap tech. Um, and whether or not those companies can continue to grow or will continue to grow. Certainly, I think they there is some growth there, but the pace at which they will grow, I think really matters. You know, you've got some huge players in the cloud space, whether or not that market continues to grow at the same size, right? Because when you're when you're thinking about a company growing, you're basically saying, is the opportunity set growing in general? Are we gonna need more of this thing in the future? I think server space is gonna continue to be needed. But then you're saying, is that need growing at the same rate as the economy, right? Is it basically just going to grow at the same rate of GDP? And as the world gets bigger, we're going to need a small incrementally, you know, three, four, five percent more of that computing power, so to speak. And then you're just kind of fighting over who has the market share or is it continuing to be a growing need? I do think it's still a growing need for for continued compute. I think you're going to have more and more things shift into the cloud where you might have on-site you know, storage or server space for some of these businesses that are really legacy businesses, but certainly not at the pace that we have seen over the past 10 years where there's been this dramatic shift in, oh, you can do this cheaper and more efficiently. And there's no question that probably the easy money has been made in that sort of space. Yeah, I think that you need to be more deliberate about your investing. So maybe over the last 10 years, there was a lot of excitement and a rush to enter these industries and 
the playing field may have been so broad that it was still questionable who the big players were going to be at the end of the process. I think we're starting to see who they are. And now the question is, can they continue to grow? Can they back it up? And can they evolve? Which is the critical question. Can they evolve to meet the next 10 years of demand and make sure they're investing appropriately? Now, with the NASDAQ down as much as it was, I do think that there's a sentiment that tech investing in general is kind of out, right? And and so that, to me, doesn't feel like the right takeaway from 2022. I don't think that we should be saying anything that's got technology associated with it is dead money. And I think that that's probably the mistake that you could easily make after a year like last year is to assume that now this is dead money and you need to reallocate it and you know go buy those Dow 30 companies. Yeah, I, I think that's the wrong takeaway as well. We are an increasingly connected people. I think the need for tech is only going to grow from here and it's only going to get better and more efficient. So there's a lot of opportunity. You know, I, I think what you can say is diversification is more important than ever. And maybe all of my best ideas shouldn't fall in the same category unless you're willing to ride that ride that we saw last year, which challenged a lot of people, including you and me. You know, it hasn't been easy to continue to follow your investing process when you're just punished for it. Yeah, no, exactly. I think this is the type of environment that really tests your conviction and tests your wits. And and for anybody that is questioning their conviction, I think that's okay too. I don't think that you need to be as convinced, but it is about continuing to follow the process and and at least try and understand if you made a mistake, where was the mistake, right? Now, on several of the spaces in tech right now, the companies that got the hottest were kind of these SaaS businesses, software as a service businesses. And the reason they got really, really hot was two things. Number one is that these are really high margin businesses, right? So when you look at a SaaS business, you can often see 60, 70 plus percent gross margins, right? You can see incredibly profitable businesses in terms of every unit they sell in addition does not require the same amount of input or capital on the back end, right? So people like those kind of companies because they scale. Then you had this massive acceleration in 2020 as everybody shifted from working in a physical space to work from home. So you had like huge demand. And then we took all the air out of that bubble. That's kind of like what happened, right? Uh, and then I think what you're now seeing is businesses that need to make an investment, whether it's a conversion to another SaaS product or whether it is an investment in kind of upgrading their their internal structure, whatever that is. With the fear of recession, if you don't have to make that upgrade, if it's not urgent, I think a lot of business owners wait. I think a lot of CEOs wait. I think a lot of CTOs wait, and they don't want to burn that budget. And that can do a couple things, right? So if you're in the camp that, again, this is kind of dead money, you could say, well, they're not going to spend that money. Or what they're actually doing is just delaying the outlay of the capital. If you needed to make kind of this consistent investment in your infrastructure, into your cybersecurity, in what you're doing as a business, and you delay it for six months, if you delay it for a year, what you end up with is pent-up demand. And I think that that's the more likely situation right now. And I don't think that much of that has been priced back into the market in terms of optimism. I don't think anybody's looking at what's happening right now as building pent-up demand. Yeah, the other interesting thing that I've been tracking, and I think this is also going to be a delayed 
metric is tech is can apply downward pressure on costs. Like a company that is effectively implementing a tech suite can operate more efficiently, identify areas for improvement quicker, have better analytics on their business. So I think while now the focus on most business leaders is let's reduce costs at all at all costs because we have a message that we need to convey to people. Eventually, I suspect that people are going to start bringing in these solutions because it's going to help them reduce costs and have their workers be more efficient in a world where tech is laying off a lot of employees. Like They need to find a way to replace that power, whether that's through more manpower or you know, or really well-run softwares. Dan, let me ask you this. How much do you pay attention? And I think we are probably in alignment that most forecasters are not necessarily accurate, right? I mean, we just know. If you go back and look at all of all of the predictions for what the market would do in 2022, I don't think a single person nailed it, right? Similarly, I don't put a lot of stock in them moving forward, but I do tend to read the forecasts and the themes that they're talking about. And so, for example, one of the firms that has been a little bit on the optimistic side has been Goldman Sachs. They are well above the consensus in terms of where they think GDP is going for 23. The consensus is that we'd be at like 0.4, which is basically flat to to maybe negative. A lot of people are still predicting there could be a true recession. Goldman thinks that we're going to be at 1% growth and as I kind of boiled down their thesis, what it essentially says is that they think the labor market strength is kind of getting into alignment where the job openings versus employment numbers are a little bit more equalized, but that we'll see some real wage growth in the labor market. The thing that has to happen for that, I think the implied thing that they're saying is that there actually has to be some either reduction in costs or certainly the inflation has to come out of it because if the wages haven't been keeping up, which they haven't been, that creates a reduction in purchasing power for each individual household. If you're going to say that that's going to grow a little bit, that to me implies they think wages are going to maybe grow in a small amount, but that the costs are going to actually come down a little bit or at least stay flat from where they are currently. I think that's an interesting view because I, as, as much as that's tough to see right now, I think a lot of the pressures on the inflation are starting to ease up from what I can see. Yeah. I mean, anecdotally, as a business owner who employs a, a large number of people, wage growth has has gone up a lot in our company. Like I'm seeing that the amount that we have to pay our workers to keep them is is much higher than it was before. So you know, if that's indicative of what other companies are about to go through, I, I believe that. But then it, that has to be paired again with the cost coming back into line, right? It, is the, right? The wage growth on its own doesn't do that for you. It doesn't continue to support the economy. You need the wage to either kind of stay there and then costs to come down or that the wages are going up in excess of the costs, which if you continue to see that, you're just going to see businesses keep raising prices on everything, right? You almost need everything else to settle down on the cost side and then the wages to level out. Right. What we're talking about is real wage growth, which is increased wages above the rate of inflation. So hopefully the trend of lower inflation numbers continues for, for lots of reasons. Um, <laughs> I like For the first time, it occurred to me how much the cost of goods has gone up when I was buying chicken at the grocery store yesterday. And I was just 
flabbergasted at what I was paying per pound. I had a very real moment there where I grabbed some chicken breast. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, is this what chicken costs now? So I'm ready for that to be done too. Yeah. I, one of the weird indicators, I'm not even going to call it an indicator because it's complete anecdata. Um, I get email alerts and text alerts for this auction house that when small businesses are closing, they tend to send out these, hey, we've got all these computers or like whatever it is that they're selling. Um, I've actually bought some office furniture like that. My file cabinet came from an auction. And there's been some other interesting closures where you can, if you're in the market for either a bunch of stuff or even just kind of a one-off unique piece, you can you can make a bid on it. I've seen a lot of them come up lately. And it just looks to me like, you know, to the extent that people aren't making the investment or at least aren't confident renewing their lease, so to speak. I mean, that is such a big decision point for a small business owner. If you're running a cafe or a restaurant and you get to that lease renewal, if you're not confident, you simply aren't going to do it. And I, I can't tell if I'm seeing these auctions get more and more frequent because of that. Is it just a lack of confidence or have conditions gotten so bad that those companies simply couldn't be profitable and they've either defaulted and that's why they're auctioning things off. And you don't necessarily get that background information, but I have noticed that, that I do think that there is a main street pulling back still it's happening. And to me, quite frankly, I think that means if there is a recession, I think we're probably already in it, right? Whether that's been declared or not, I think, and Michael Burry said this recently, I think it's already happening. It's, it's just a matter of when we're going to call it, when we're going to report it, that reduction in spending or confidence, I think, has has already come to fruition. Yeah, that's often true. By the time they can call it what it is, we're probably in the middle or at the tail end of it, and it's a historical thing. That was a recession, and we come up with a fancy name for it. Yeah. One other thing that I wanted to mention while we talk about the market, and this is probably not new for anybody that's been listening to our show for a little bit, but I think it's relevant, which is simply that pessimism is actually a good thing for investors. Last year coming into the year, and I'm going to use trailing numbers, and I realize the stock market is a forward-looking metric, but let's just use trailing numbers because I think it matters. And it's an easy way to look at it. At the start of 2022, we were paying 30 times trailing 12 earnings. 30 times earnings was the P.E. ratio on the S&P 500. Currently, that's at 20.22. That's a huge reduction. That's almost that's a 33% reduction essentially in confidence in what you're seeing priced in. That negativity, that same pessimism that is causing people to perhaps not renew their leases, that has caused people to sell their investments and put downward pressure on stock prices, that reduction in optimism is actually a good thing because it means that there's more forward-looking ability to earn returns. Um, now again, I don't say I'm not saying that we're at the end of whatever the storm is. I think that the data could continue to be choppy for a little bit. Um, you know, I, I I've just heard so many predictions that are really really bearish, and I think that that pessimism is where the opportunity lies right now. Right to the extent that you can continue to be an investor, there's a lot of opportunity ahead for you. So. Again, make sure you're being a participant in your 401k plans, which is buying in bi-weekly into the market. You know, the dollars that you're investing today are going to be very powerful down the road. You know, don't sit on the sidelines for too long if you have cash saved up allocated for investing. I mean, these are the times that people are going to be talking about years from now where you have, you know, 10x your money on some company or some index. 
I mean, it's it's just one of those things where if you're trying to figure out what happens in the next 12 months and you need to be right in the next 12 months, it's very difficult, right? Almost nobody's going to be able to do that. If you need to be right over the next 10 years or 20 years, I can say with confidence that I think we're going to be in a better place 10 years from today than where we are right now, right? And so if if you're zooming out to how are you actually, what are you trying to decide right now, you know? Obviously, it would be great if we were in the perfect sector, the perfect stock, the perfect portfolio every single year, year in, year out. But with humility, I can tell you that nobody's going to be able to do that, myself included, and that what we want to be doing is thinking longer and longer and longer term, if at all possible, that puts the odds well on your side versus against it. And that's where having a financial plan is so important, even if it's just on a piece of paper for your family where you're mapping out what your hopes are for the next 12 months, five years, 10 years, 20 years. Like Ross said, if you need to be right over the next 12 months in the market, that money probably shouldn't be in the market. You know, Thinking ahead and being ready for those expenses is, is what's going to set you up for success. And then it doesn't matter if we're down this year because the cash for your bathroom renovation is sitting right there ready for you to get to earning a happy three or 4% in the savings account these days. So yeah, just set yourself up for success and, and buy yourself the luxury of a long time horizon. That's it. Yeah. If, you, if you're talking about money you need this summer, you should be talking about treasuries or cash. That, that's, that's where you should be thinking. So getting that in alignment, I'm sure we've said that many times before. We'll say it again, but we hope that it continues to resonate with people. Well, Dan, here's to hoping 2023 is a much better year. I'm excited. I really am. I think we're going to see a big shift in the market this year in terms of that level of confidence. I think the data just needs to improve a little bit. You know, it may still be choppy for the next few months, but uh, I'm I'm a lot more confident in this year and beyond. Me too, and I'm excited to start 2023 with all of our listeners. We love engaging with you. If you have any questions or thoughts, please send us a note at checkyourbalancesatoutlook.com. We love reading them on the air and hearing from y'all, and we look forward to catching up with you guys next week. 